according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here's where we begin today. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Uh, Again, this is a three-part message. Uh, The first part uh, covered was really the warning. Uh, That's verse 8. Beware, uh, lest anyone cheat you. And that's really the uh, the proposition was beware lest you be cheated or positively um, rest in the finished work of Christ and don't move away from that. That's the idea of the passage. In the Colossian church, uh, the Apostle Paul was writing uh, to address uh, a heresy that was trying to move in. That heresy had roots in uh, Stoicism and also into uh, some aspects of Judaism. And it was trying to rob the the believers of the grace of God that they were enjoying. And so this passage really is addressing that, that they wouldn't be moved away from the hope that they have in Christ and try to add to what Christ has done, something of their own flesh or their own works, their own abilities. And uh, there's much more to it. We'll discuss some of the aspects of that at another time. But uh, as I mentioned on the onset, uh, that was our proposition. We looked at the warning the first time, and and then from that warning we find uh, really uh, there are in this passage five powerful reasons why we should stay attached to Christ, stay fixed to um, what God has done, and that uh, are found in the working out of this. First, uh, in Christ is the fullness of deity, and you are complete in him. Uh, In verse 9 it speaks of the fullness of the deity that rests in Christ. He is fully God, and uh, and in him we are made complete. So don't move away from that. Rest in that. Secondly, in Christ is the fullness of authority. And so all other authorities are subordinate to him. To somehow submit to some other authority would be to submit to a lesser authority than you are as you are in Christ Jesus. And then... Um, In Christ is the fullness of the Spirit. It says you are circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. Uh, And in that text particularly, it's the idea of giving you a new heart. God creating in you uh, a thirst and a desire for Him, uh, which is the working of the Holy Spirit. And so you are sanctified in Him. And then today, uh, we're looking at the final two of those five powerful reasons Uh, In Christ is the fullness of life. You are raised and alive with Him. That's really clear. 
uh, in verses 12 and 13, uh, and uh, even farther into the text. And then finally, in Christ is the fullness of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is, is given very clearly in several different statements that are made. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves today. Again, uh, this was text was written to address a heresy uh, that had moved into um, that area of, of Christianity, early Christianity, and the Apostle Paul uh, writing to these believers that he had never seen face to face, writing to them about the hope that they had in Christ Jesus. Well, we're moved away from that a couple of millenniums, um, but um, we still have to rest in that finished work of Christ and not be moved away from the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Today we celebrate uh, the day when Christ was raised from the grave. It's a triumphal day, uh, not only because he was raised from death to life, but because of the far-reaching implications of his resurrection. Um, these implications include, of course, uh, the fact that he was innocent, uh, that he fulfilled all of the demands of the law, uh, that uh, he, he is indeed God, um, the second person of the Trinity, uh, his victorious work of satisfying the righteous demands uh, of the law for us. All of this and much more are attached to the resurrection of Christ. And so we who have come to Christ by faith have much to celebrate. Um, we, have, we look at this resurrection and we understand as we look elsewhere in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, that Christ's resurrection and our re- resurrection are, are, are twined or tied together. And so when a person comes to faith in Christ, they are radically transformed. As we spoke about last week, they receive a new heart and a new nature as the Spirit of God takes up residence in their life. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Believers are actually brought from death to life. And uh, that is the doctrine of regeneration. And we see that in this text. You were dead and now are made alive. Uh, which describes um, this aspect of of being given spiritual life. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of this uh, specifically in verses 1 through 7, and it writes, uh, this is what it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love, which which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive with together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Christ's resurrection and our resurrection and spiritual life are intricately tied together. And these texts all speak to that. 
So coming to Christ by faith is not just turning over a new leaf or getting a new lease on life. It really is a resurrection. It's a resurrection uh, to spiritual life. And, uh, and so it's a miraculous new life that begins in the very heart of the believer and will affect every area of our life. Those who have come to Christ acknowledge that and understand that. It's, com- it's completely opposite of man-centered religion. All, if you think about it, all man-centered religion tries to work their way to God. Generally, they place all of the emphasis on what a person does, whether it's by way of external works, whether it's by religious ceremonies, whether it's by tapping into some inner God-like qualities through meditation, or all man-centered religions uh, are emphasized man climbing up a ladder to get to God-like status. But biblical Christianity takes that all out of our hands. Nothing is put to um, trust to our own doing. Uh, It's all found in the working of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Colossian believers' faith was being assailed. They were being told that they had to do something else or that Christ was not able to completely deliver them, um, which uh, we, uh, we, we covered previously. So here, the Scriptures are reassuring them that being connected to Christ by faith cannot be improved upon. Uh, and in fact, they would be losing something if they looked elsewhere. Uh, there will be an extended discussion in verses 16 through the end of the chapter about some of the ways in which those who are a part of that uh, deviant um, uh, or her- heretical teaching were assailing them. We'll look at those later. Uh, but here we see the repeated emphasis upon the believer's connection to Christ. And for good reason, being connected to Christ is everything. You have to see that in this text. And so we're looking really at that fourth powerful reason to be on guard, not to be moved away from Christ. In Christ is the fullness of life. And you are raised with Him. So verse 12 it says, buried with him in baptism, in which you also are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Christian baptism, as it's uh, presented here, uh, Christian baptism is a symbol of what actually transpires or happens when a person comes to faith in Christ. It vividly portrays not only Jesus' death and resurrection, but the believer's death with him and the believer's resurrection with him. And just to clarify, uh, for those who are listening in, Christian baptism is a baptism that is for believers by immersion. uh, And it is a symbol. Uh, And so baptism does not make you a Christian. It does not wash away your sin, original or otherwise. It is a physical act that pictures a spiritual reality. And so in this text, it comes up. Uh, Christian baptism, you were buried with him and then made alive to him. Just like in baptism, uh, a person is immersed completely under the water and then comes up. So you are to walk in newness of life. And so here the emphasis is the Christian's connection to Christ. Specifically, his 
the Christian's connection to Jesus' death and to his resurrection with him in baptism. You were buried as all who are dead and with him through faith you were raised. The repeated with him must not be overlooked because all true believers are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ as a body is connected to its head. And so it reminds us of other verses we find in the New Testament that use this same analogy. For instance, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 say, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Well, as Christians, we look to the ultimate physical or body resurrection. That is something we look to and we think about and we declare, for it is true. But here, you must not miss the fact that the resurrection is also a present reality. It's not just that you will be raised. It's that you are raised. That you are raised with Christ already as a believer in Christ. And so that's a present reality for the child of God. And so notice the past tense in the text. Buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him. Not something just in forward look, but something in retrospect. Something that has already happened. So understand that if you're a believer, you have already been raised. Um, with Christ. It's already a done deal. The imagery will be picked up again in the beginning of chapter 3. Notice chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, if then you were raised with Christ. And actually, um, the emphatic there is since then. Since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. See the connection? It's not just something forward. It's not something of a future hope alone, but it's a present reality. It's a hope that we are latched onto. Now we are already raised with Christ. You have to see that. And this is exactly what Jesus meant when he was speaking to Martha. You might remember the account when Lazarus was in the grave, in the tomb, and Jesus was coming there and would raise him back to physical life. And so uh, he comes and, uh, and he's communicating to Martha and she doesn't quite understand what he's trying to say. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes on me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Right now. You have eternal life. And this, uh, the meaning here by which all of this takes place is the powerful working of God. In the text here, it says this is a working from God, right? Um, and so as for our part, it's faith. The text declares that. But as for the actual working, it's not something we do. It's actually something that God has done. And so importantly here, not baptism or circumcision or any other rite. No, it is faith in God who raised Jesus from the dead. So today, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, 
and our own resurrection, do not just view it as a future hope, but as a present reality. Christ was raised, and in him you are right now raised from the dead to spiritual life. First John says, He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. Either you have Christ, and thus you have eternal life, or you don't have Christ, and you don't have eternal life. But the point of the text is that we have already been raised with Christ. And so, um, what does all this mean? How do we apply it? Well, first, it should infuse us with hope and confidence for today and the future. Uh, We need not fear, uh, need not live in fear, uh, especially in light of this present pandemic, the last thing you should do is fear. Uh, As some would say, what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing is that I I would be taken from physical life, maybe. That's the worst thing, I don't know. And I would be alive in Christ's presence rather than walking by faith, right? Secondly, it should define the direction of your life. Knowing that I now have life in Christ, knowing that I am His child, knowing that that I have spiritual life, as it will come out in the next chapter, chapter 3, if you're raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Don't seek after worldly pleasure and gain. Uh, Don't seek after the things of this world, but seek after Christ. Um, and so it should, it should give us confidence and, and eradicate fear from our life. I couldn't help but thinking, as I thought of these things, the, the, the final stanza of the hymn, In Christ Alone. It goes like this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I stand. These words speak of this triumph that we have in Christ Jesus. That brings us uh, to the fifth and final powerful reason to be on guard, not to be moved away from the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is the fullness of forgiveness. You are under grace, not under law. Verses 13 through 15. These verses say this, And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over it, or triumphing over them in it. And so, as we come to this final reason, uh, not to be moved away from the fidelity that we have to Christ, we can see that it is connected to his redemptive work of salvation, his cross work specifically. Here it is, uh, it's all written in past completed action. Notice um, this, it, it reassures our hearts to rest in Him. After all, we're all dead in our trespasses and sin, and He made us alive together with Him. 
And so that's already transpired. And what follows are three glorious and powerful ways which declare the completeness on which our sin has been dealt with in Christ. You can, you can see them introduced in this, uh, these final verses, verses 13 through 15, by the word having. Having forgiven you all your trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting and requirements that was against us. Having disarmed principalities and powers. He made public spectacle of them. And so uh, you can see each of those introduced, which reveals the action that is completed or finished. And so um, let's just take some time and work our way through these. Uh, These are really powerful. Uh, The language that's used here is uh, really picturesque. And I hope that I can at least paint a little bit of a picture for you this morning. The first glorious and powerful way in which our sin has been dealt with is, first of all, by the full and complete forgiveness of sin and transgression. Uh, Notice it says, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Here the emphasis is on the word all. All your trespasses. All of your trespasses in the past. All of your trespasses in the present all of the trespasses and sins of the future, they've all been dealt with all at once in Christ Jesus. When you come to Christ by faith, you can rest in His completed work which removes all your sin. Now for those who haven't been with us before, we were working through that in the early part of chapter 1, and so I'm not going to take any more time on that point, but understand this, that in Christ Jesus Our sin has been fully and completely dealt with. When you come to Christ by faith, uh, all of that sin is dealt with and given a death's blow. It's taken away. And and so we don't fear, uh, even though we may sin yet, and we will, um, we know and can rest assured that it wasn't just my past sins, um, but all of my sin. And I can rest in Christ's finished work. The second glorious and powerful way um, in which our sin has been dealt with is found in the next statement by abolishing the penalty of the law and its accusations and requirements. Three powerful and permanent ways in which uh, this penalty we deserve is silenced by Jesus. Notice these. I'll I'll give them to you bulleted form and then I'll come back and and work our way through them. First, uh, the first powerful and permanent way uh, our, uh, the penalty of our sin is dealt with is he wiped it out. It says, wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. The second powerful and permanent way the penalty of our sin is dealt with is he took it out. He has taken it out of the way, it says. And then the third, it says, uh, he nailed it to the cross. Uh, these are um, very picturesque. Uh, they, they, they bring a lot of vision uh, to what was going on and what Christ has done. So let's look at those. The first powerful way in which uh, the penalty that we deserve is silenced by Christ is that he wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He wiped it out. The law condemns us because we're sinners. We const- it, the, the law says do and we don't, or it says don't and we do. Um, and the penalty of the law is death. It's clear. Um, and so we as transgressors deserve death. 
Because we're sinners and the law is perfect, it is contrary to us. That's what the text is saying. Thus, um, uh, it's our adversary. Uh, we, we stand condemned by the law. It is constantly accusing us. There's nothing wrong with the moral law of God, nor of its assessment or of its accusations against us. They're all true. There's nothing wrong in that sense. Uh, we, we just cannot keep it. In this text, it says that the Lord Jesus Christ wiped it all out, blotted the handwriting and the requirements uh, that was against us. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, what is it saying? Well, the Greek word that's used here, exalipo, um, literally means to, to plaster over, um, to, to blot out. Um, I like one uh, in Thayer's, he says, to obliterate, uh, to erase, to wipe it off. Um, and so, Jesus, if you would, wiped out completely the penalty of the law's demands. And he did so in two ways. First, by keeping the law perfectly himself and thus fulfilling it, he wiped out the demands of the law. Secondly, by his vicarious death for us, he satisfied the demands of the law. And so, um, we are connected to Christ's death and to his life. And he wiped out that death by fulfilling the law and by meeting its righteous demands and by paying its penalty, the death that we deserved. And so, forbid me, if you would, for being uh, in, in, this, in this illustration, or, or excuse me, if you would, for being a bit morbid, but dead people are not brought to court, even if they committed crimes. Uh, you, don't, um, you don't try them. They're dead. And so we died with Christ and are no longer held liable to the demands of the law. It may keep accusing us, but all we do is go back to the cross of Jesus Christ and say it was dealt with. It was finished. He wiped it out. All of its requirements are completed uh, and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So he wiped it out. Secondly, he has taken it out of the way. He took it out. The second powerful and permanent way the penalty of our sin has dealt with is Jesus dealt with the law in such a way as to remove it completely from view. Specifically, in the context of this text here, it means that he took it to the grave with him and left it there. The Greek word that's, that's translated taken out um, literally has the idea is to, to lift and to take away. Um, it was used of uh, a boat that the anchor was lifted and then sailed away, not to return. Um, or it was used of, of something that was carried away and removed out of the way completely. And so, our sin has been taken away. We can think of other verses in the Scriptures. Uh, many of our minds would go to ones uh, such as in Hebrews that talks about uh, the fact that God has taken our sin and cast it into the sea of His forgetfulness and remembers it no more. Uh, or verses that speak of our sin being dealt with finally and completely. All of these are dealt with as we look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third powerful and permanent way the penalty of our sin was dealt with as he nailed it to the cross. <laughs> Here's the instrument by which the, our penalty was dealt with. 
Uh, it was the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was there that the crimes of the victim were nailed to the cross. You remember that Pilate wrote over the top of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Uh, that was the crime uh, that was held against him, of which he was not guilty. He was actually um, the King of the Jews, um, the Messiah. But our, uh, as we look at that, the way in which um, penalty was done, the, the, the perpetrator or the criminal would have their crimes nailed to the cross for which um, they were dying or the penalty for which they were paying. Well, it says here that our crimes were nailed to the cross of Jesus. And so in this passage, it's conveying this, this really beautiful picture. We find this in other places. Uh, Colossians, in fact, earlier in chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, um, by him, whether things in earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Or in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 21, it says, For he himself, who knew no sin, um, uh, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, three ways our sin is dealt with in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's blotted out, uh, wiped out, if you would. It is taken out of the way, removed completely. And then finally, it, he nailed it to the tree. And the word that's used is, is that of a spike being driven in. He nailed it to the cross. It's finished. It's completed. And so as we return back to the text and we see uh, the third glorious and powerful way in which our sin is ultimately dealt with is by the disarming of the enemy. Uh, as the text finishes, uh, verse 15, um, it makes it clear uh, that all powers uh, that would come against us are rendered useless. Uh, so what does it say? Uh, it says, Having dis disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, that is, in the cross. So as we uh, look at this text, to hear verse 15 makes it abundantly clear that the only enemy, uh, the only enemy that we would have has been dealt with in two complete and thorough ways. First, um, he did this by taking it out of the way. Um, that is, he dealt with the threat, the enemy. Um, he took away the weapon um, or the, the ability to be able to do anything. right? And then second, by parading the enemy through the streets, showing his power over the enemy. The, the, the suggestive language of that, that triumph that's being displayed here is the same one that you'll find in the book of 2 Corinthians. And here it's speaking about uh, the fact that after a, a Roman general uh, would have a victorious battle, they would have a triumph march. 
and significant captives would be marched through the streets um, to be shown to be under his feet. It was a very picturesque way of showing his, his military power over his enemies. Here is the language about how God has dealt with our sin and how we should stay attached to Christ. He disarmed the enemy and displayed his ultimate defeat in this text. So, uh, as we come to it, the enemy's uh, a principal weapon for uh, against us is sin and death, right? And um, that has been dealt with. They're no longer a threat to the child of God. Um, for Jesus has taken them out of the way. I couldn't help but think of First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 uh, through uh, 59. It says, uh, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yes, death has been dealt with. Um, it, it is still a horrifying looking thing, isn't it? When we think of death, um, we think of something that, that looks awful. And yet, like a scorpion that has its stinger removed, though it may look fearsome, it has no power. It has no sting. And so it is uh, death uh, as a believer. We need not fear. Uh, we need not um, uh, cower from that enemy, for it has been dealt with. Sin and death are dealt with in the finished work of Christ. And so in this passage, we're brought again to these truths uh, concerning the work of Christ. I hope that they're an encouragement to you as you celebrate uh, this day, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. I hope that they will be an encouragement and reflective to you throughout the day. Having said that, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Josh come and lead us in a final hymn. And I wish you all a blessed Easter as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ.